Welcome everyone to Creating a Family, talk about adoption and foster care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the host as well as the director of Creating a Family, and we have lots and lots of resources that are at your disposal at our website, which is creatingafamily.org. Today, we're going to be talking about a subject I feel really passionate about, and that is maintaining your marriage and your relationships when adopting or fostering. Uh, it's something that I don't think we talk about enough in the fields of adoption and foster care. So I'm really excited to be talking today with Amy Garber. She is has her master's in social work. She's also a licensed clinical social worker. She graduated from Boston College School of Social Work in 2005. And since 2008, she has worked for Wide Horizons for Children, a child welfare organization. And her position is as an adoption social worker and manager of the post-adoption program and they serve over 14,000 children placed in adoptive families since the 1970s. We'll also be talking with Anna Mayers. She is a licensed clinical social worker. She obtained her master's in social work from Smith College School of Social Work and her undergraduate studies in psychology were at Mount Holyhock College. She's been in private practice since 2002 and she sees both adult individuals as well as couples. Welcome, Anna and Amy, to Creating a Family, and thank you so much for joining us today to talk about marriages and how we can maintain our marriages. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Don, for having us. Okay. Our goal should be for our marriage or relationships to be around long after our kids leave home, and this takes being proactive because if we're not careful, our relationships become all about parenting and fostering. We don't just bring kids into our home. We bring them into our marriage and into our relationships. And in many ways, kids can bring great enjoyment to our marriage and relationships. So, Anna, how can kids enhance a relationship or a marriage? Oh, well. <laughs> let you count the ways, huh? <laughs> yeah, let me count the ways, indeed. So that shared experience of loving children and playing with children and teaching children, I think in so many ways, it is, it's, it's the heart of what keeps people so happy to gaze lovingly, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the shared the shared memories, the shared life, all of that is so, is very enhancing. So, yeah, and, and Amy, any thoughts on the on the joys of children? Yeah, I mean, I think it also um, gives us a, a different identity, um, and and we're we're parents to children. We're we're in a team. We're part of a team, um, and we're engaging together, and we're utilizing each other's strengths. Um, so I think it's, you know, people can find great joy in watching their partner act mm-hmm. as a parent um, and and also supporting one, one another. I think it changes your priorities and your focus, and it's really busy and fun, and you can feel a lot of pride and joy um, in watching your kids grow um, mm-hmm. and teaching them your values. Mm-hmm. Gives you a connection to the future. And- both, you know, both as you're currently parenting, but also as grandparents and all of that. It makes you look forward to the uh, what you're doing for the future generations as well. Yeah. 
So we know that kids who've experienced trauma can be challenging to parent and can test a marriage or a relationship. So Amy, why are children adopted past infancy, children who've experienced prenatal exposure and kids who've experienced trauma often harder to parent? Mm, that's a really good question. They are, <laughs> they're, they're, and we could spend days on this really, um, but they're, they're, they're typically harder to parent because of the challenges, the unique challenges that come along with adoption. Um, so there's toxic stress, there's trauma history, there is um, difficulty with attachment, there is grief and loss involved. And I think when we typically think of a child having a trauma history, we think of older kids um, that have been maybe in an abusive relationship or abused by their parents or neglected. But the important thing to, to know is that any child that's adopted, experts say that um, the separation from birth family is considered a trauma um, and that the stress hormones can impact brain development. Um, so I think we have to really assume that any child that's adopted can be impacted by, by trauma. And, and then, you know, the trauma response can be really frustrating and hard to parent, right? Oh, or or yes. the, the, the trauma behaviors, I should say, mm-hmm. um, can be really frustrating, hard to understand. And kids, kids are acting this way because of their experiences and the way that their brain was developed based mm-hmm. on um, their earlier mm-hmm. time. Anna, what are some of the behaviors that we see? That that either that trauma that it could be so that trauma causes that could be so challenging for parents. Well, I was going to agree with everything Amy said and add that regardless, we never know who's coming into our lives, right? Whether we birth that child or we bring that child home from a different household or a different human, it the children, difficult children are just difficult. Period, and even. Parenting is hard under the best of circumstances. So I think everyone needs to remember that, that it's a hard job everyone signed up for when when you parent. And so, sorry, Dawn, you said specifically, you were asking of what are some of the things we see? Yeah, and kids have been exposed, but, but your point's well taken, that regardless of how our kids come to us, we can't predict what they're going to bring to us and what challenges they're going to bring to us. We know that trauma complicates it, but you're exactly right. (laughs) Um, Even more, just some of that, but if you could list off some of the challenging behaviors that we may see as parents. Well, sure, acting out, being disruptive, really needing a lot. I think, especially if you have multiple children and maybe one is more uh, difficult than another, then you see that that person takes a lot of energy, which might leave a a much less amount of energy for the other children or other child. So those are the, those are daily energy drains for everyone in the household, including the child who we might label as traumatized or difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So children can indeed bring both immense joy to our relationships, but they can also bring challenges. So what are some of the unique stresses that relationships 
might face when fostering or adopting kids who've been exposed to trauma. And I will start with one, and, and that is a feeling of isolation. Oftentimes people don't get why our kids behave the way they, they do. And there's always somebody around to give us advice on what we're doing wrong or how if we did things just a little differently or a lot differently, you know, they, they we wouldn't be experiencing this and they would do it differently. And by golly, you know, uh, you know, and it's a very isolating feeling to be because you don't often have people in your direct environment, your, your people that you normally turn to, your parents or your friends, they often haven't experienced parenting a child exposed to trauma. And they're not much, they're not much help to you oftentimes when you're the one experiencing it. So I'll, I'll, I'll jump in there and begin by saying feeling of isolation. Um, Anna, any other, uh, want to throw out any other unique stresses that, that parents uh, may face when they're parenting kiddos who are uh, ex exposed to trauma? Well, they might feel their own traumas coming up in in life and oftentimes you know in therapy whether it's individual family or couples we we can notice that adults who are parenting children of any age might be let's say brought back in time to their own trauma whether that's small t trauma or large t trauma those experiences of watching your six-year-old or your 14-year-old might awaken feelings in you that you thought were resolved and perhaps they're not. And perhaps those are going to impact how everyone gets along. Amy, not infrequently when people and couples go into uh, an adoption or go into foster care, they're not always equal in their desires to to enter this adventure, shall we say, to, to become an adoptive parent or a foster parent. So how does it affect a marriage or a relationship when one of the parents is more eager to adopt or foster than the other? And then when they get into the adopting or fostering, it becomes more challenging than they had anticipated. Absolutely. That's another great question. I think that that's something we try to assess during home study process with families um, a great deal. One of the most important questions is, you know, are you both, have you both come to the, to the same place and same decision in moving forward with an adoption? Because it can be really impactful on the relationship and the family. If both people, both partners in the relationship don't feel like they're fully committed and on board to this. Um, but of course, there is oftentimes one parent that is kind of leading the you know, leading the cause um, towards adoption. Um, and the other parent um, is more hesitant or has more concerns. And I've certainly seen that happen. Um, and what often comes with that is um, when there are difficulties, when the child comes home, um, there is guilt, um, there is mm -hmm. resentment towards the parent that pushed too hard to make this happen. And there are a lot of disagreements about now what? What do we do now? We're in this cir circumstance and we have, to, we have to get on the same page about how to move forward. But I think those feelings of guilt and resentment can really impact a marriage and a relationship. 
And so I think it's really important that that partners are talking together and really clear about what this parenting journey is going to look like ahead of time to try to decrease the the chances that that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think, um, can I answer the the stress question too please. a little bit? Yeah, about, please. I, I think one that I see a lot is is the judgment of outsiders. Oh, um, Lord, and, yes. And, <laughs> yeah, and that is so hard because parenting a child with trauma, it's like one of those invisible special needs, right? Um, that families outside of your family don't understand what's going on inside your house and don't mm-hmm. understand what's going on for your child. And I think parents feel judged, um, especially when they're trying to utilize some of the brilliant parenting tools and strategies that are available in the world of adoption. But other parents don't understand that. They think parents are being too lenient or too coddling their child too much or, you know, not not disciplining the the way mm-hmm. that they should. Um, and so I think, adoptive parents often face judgment and that feels really bad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does. And that comes from friends. It comes from extended family. And as you pointed out, it can also come from within the marriage as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Anna, let's talk for a moment about how grief can impact a, a relationship because there's a lot of, when you're parenting a child that is challenging and it's, it's, it, you don't feel that you are succeeding or, and this isn't how you anticipated parenting to be, or I've, I wanted this and I have ruined my family. And so grief over the life you have had before, how does grief play out in, in a relationship or how can it play out in a relationship? I think if it could play out just more simply as grief, we would all be better off. I mm-hmm. think what ends up happening so much of the time, and I'm interested in your thoughts, both of you, because I think so many people are willing to just take that into resentment and disappointment and without really reflecting on what's going on for them in the, in what they did expect and what they did hope for and how things are harder than they thought they were going to be. Or (laughs) yes, once again, you get what you get, right? You might've wanted a tennis player and you got a hockey player. And, and Mm -hmm. there are so many levels of that kind of expectation and without self-knowledge it, it really can balloon into something that is ends up projecting onto your spouse or partner, you onto your children, onto your other children, onto your every aspect of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 nothing and then unidentified grief can really just eat at the very core of a marriage. Sure. Yeah. Big news, everyone. The Jockey Being Family Foundation has provided us with scholarships for free access to five of our most popular courses. You can find these courses and the coupon code at the website bit.ly slash JBF support. That is bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash all cap J-B-F 
then cap S for support. So J-B-F-S, that's all capitalized, and then U-P-P-O-R-T. Uh, again, the coupon code to get you these courses free is going to be on that page as well. And the courses are Raising Resilient Kids with Dr. Ken Ginsberg, Raising a Child with ADHD to a Successful and Healthy Adulthood with Dr. Ned Hallowell, Unexpected Stresses for Newly Adoptive Parents, Practical Solutions to Typical Food Issues with Dr. Katja Rao, and Parenting Children Who Have Experienced Trauma with Karen Buckwalter. Make sure you go to the bit.ly slash JBF support to get information on these courses. All right, now I want to talk about some of the, I'm not sure they're really unique, but I'll say unique, situations that, that, that children who've experienced trauma can bring to a family and be particularly difficult for the marriage. One is their behaviors that children are often exhibiting are not the behaviors that we've anticipated. And and one parent, often the the mother, has read and studied and, and has a specific idea of how these behaviors should be handled. Uh, and and often the both parents are not on the same page. You may have a spare the rod and spoil the child on one side versus a attachment parenting on the other side. And it could not be that extreme. It could also be just just everyday disagreements on on how much one person being too lenient or one person um, not understanding the child or expecting too much or one person not buying into the whole uh, uh, FASD or brain damage aspect of prenatal exposure. So disagreeing on on how to handle these behaviors. Amy, what are some ways that parents can deal with that situation? And, uh, and, and do you see that happening very often? I do. I see that happen all the time. And um, not, not because people don't want to agree on methods of discipline, but I think typically it's that they disagree on understanding the behaviors um, that are happening. And I think that when you don't understand the behaviors, it's hard to agree on a plan to help either resolve them or manage the behaviors. And so many of the responses to trauma are impulse control, difficulty concentrating, difficulty thinking, um, low self-esteem, you know, what we call defiance or mm-hmm. aggression. So parents, Parents will often say, we have to have consequences. Um, kids can't get away with this. Mm-hmm. This behavior is very manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what we try to do in, in working with families is really um, kind of break it down for them. Because like you said, then you have the other parent that really wants to understand and is doing all the reading and the research on all of the new Um, strategies to manage these behaviors. So we try to, I always try to get both parents together um, when I'm working with them so that they can both be present because it's not, it's not helpful when you just have one parent Mm -hmm. getting the support. um, And then it's typically the parent that um, lacks the understanding of the behaviors that is not 
engaging in that consultation or coaching. Mm -hmm. So it's important to get them together um, and really talk about why, why is the child acting this way? What is the underlying reason for the behavior? What is the need? Is this trauma related? Is this a coping skill that they developed to keep them alive? You know, is there aggression and impulse control because of the abuse that they experienced? And we have to teach them new coping skills. But in order to do that, parents need a, a really clear plan and they need to be consistent and they need to set clear expectations. And I think um, sometimes it's helpful for a third party to really step in and help them outline that plan and what that can look like and really talking about the benefits of using these supportive methods as opposed to physical discipline, yelling and screaming, always being reactive to a child Mm -hmm. um, and really helping parents understand if we change our response to the child's behavior, we can really help them um, Mm -hmm. change these behaviors. And it's also about regulating emotions. Mm-hmm. So many parents um, were perfect parents, weren't we, before we had children? <laughs> right. Or difficult children. <laughs> and so then suddenly we're faced with not just the theoretical, but the, the actual and the practical. And then we don't really understand maybe ourselves or our partner or spouse or, or single parents understanding how we would have approached these things and how our own experience shaped us and informed so much of what is going on. I'm glad that you mentioned that, Amy, about the the yelling. Oh, I will often say to people, and and I, I got this from somewhere and I don't remember where, but I wish I knew, so maybe you'll know. Parents who talk to me about how much they yell at their children, I will say, okay, so that's fine. You may yell at your child all you want, but the first thing you have to do is you sit the child down and you say, Susie, what mommy is about to do is going to cause irreparable damage and harm in your life and in your psyche, but mommy's need to do that outweighs those concerns right now. And then you are perfectly welcome to yell at your child, right? Like to really put it in perspective, to show parents that yes, we're all human and we all make mistakes, but it's really not okay. And we really need to understand what our own parenting was like. And we need to be reading those books together and we need to be taking those resources, those those therapists or those support teams and helping us be on that same page because that conflict is only going to escalate. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get easier. There was something that Amy, you said that I think was... I I'm hearkening back to it because it's oftentimes it's not that the parents are disagreeing fundamentally on how to discipline or how to handle the behavior. It's like they don't really agree on the cause of the behavior. Like one buys into the idea that that this behavior is is the result of of trauma or it's a result of the child simply it was a, it was a survival this worked in the child's previous life and they're continuing it because it makes sense because this is what they have grew up learning and this was an effective strategy or at least one that may have kept them alive 
And the other one seeing it, the other parent seeing it as manipulative or, or, or disobedient or uh, disrespectful. Uh, it's almost how we label things sometimes that I think gets us in trouble inside the relationship because we both see the same behavior, but one of us sees it as a symptom and the other one sees it as just an annoyance <laughs> or, or, a, a, uh, or a character flaw. It, which Absolutely. It, it's kind of, that's an interesting thing. I, I want to uh, talk now about triangulation because that is another thing that often children who've experienced trauma do when they come into a family that is destructive or can be, I should say, can be destructive to the, to the marriage or to the partnership or the relationship. So it helps to start with saying, what is triangulation, Anna? So... We go to mom and say, can we go to the sleepover? And she says, no. And <laughs> we go to dad and we <laughs> say, I really have to go to the sleepover and it's not a problem, right? It's setting up people in opposition, right? And we can do that with, as a child with parents, we can do that as a parent with everyone else in the household. Mm -hmm. We used to call it opinion shopping in, in our household. <laughs> if we were smart, we would, if, as a parent, if we were smart, we would say, are you opinion shopping? Uh, and uh, yeah, all right. So pitting, but it, pitting it with requests, but also pitting it by sharing, mom did this, uh, mom did this to me. And, and saying that, you know, uh, ratting the mom out or telling that the uh, mom did something, saying it to the dad or vice versa, that the dad did something. So actually not even opinion shopping, but accusing the other parent of something that is, uh, that is wrong. So Amy, why is triangulation seems, this seems like a really obvious question. <laughs> why is triangulation destructive to a marriage or why can't it be? Yeah, because I mean, you, you parents have to be consistent and they have to be on the same page at all times and sending the same message to the child. Um, because if they realize that they can split parents in that way, they're going to take control of every situation and they're going to cause rifts in the, the marriage and the relationship. Um, people feel undermined. Um, if, you know, if Joey goes to dad and says he wants candy and dad says no, and then he goes to mom and asks the same question and she says yes, then it's going to continue to create this feeling of conflict. And the other thing, though, that I think is really important to mention is the issues of attachment in adoption and how that can impact splitting and triangulation. Because oftentimes when children come home, they are, they will more strongly attach to one parent and they will seek that one parent for all of their needs. Mm -hmm. And then that leaves the other parent feeling rejected mm -hmm. and upset mm -hmm. um, that they can't meet their child's needs. So you have to think about all of those different pieces, but that's so splitting. I just say and triangulation is dangerous in general. I think that's kind of one of the number one parenting rules is be on the same page. I don't let kids see that that can happen, but, but when one child is more strongly attached to the other, you also have to be really careful of saying to the, the child, if you are the parent that they seek at all times, you know, it's really important that you go to, mom or dad, the other parent, for that need to be met so that the child can see that both parents can meet all of their needs. 
we often tell in that situation where a child, especially in the initial time, the transition time coming home is, is preferring, strongly preferring one parent, we often suggest that you allow the non-favored parent the role of getting, of giving the dessert, of giving the, the bedtime story, or if baths are, are enjoyed, you know, giving the bath or playing the games. Let that parent become the, the, the parent that is, is, is associated with good things as a way to encourage the child to move to that child, to that, to that other parent. But it occurs to me that one of the things that happens, it can happen in triangulation, is that one parent, the one who is saying yes, or the one who is, it becomes the favored parent, gets to play the role of the, of the good parent. You know, yes, you can have cookies or, or sure you can go to the sleepover. And, and that seems destructive too, to me, uh, that, that just, I wouldn't want to be in, I would hate to be the one who then gets thrust into the one always having to say no, that would just, that just would seem so unfair. So it seems like that's another fundamental problem with triangulation is that one parent gets to play the good parent and the other parent then by necessity is always stuck in the, the, the mean parent role. And, uh, and nobody wants that. So sure. What, what a setup. for Yeah. What a setup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dynamic within the marriage to feel like, I have to be the good guy or I'm always the Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Either role is quite miserable, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Anna, what are some signs that you are neglecting your marriage? That seems like it would be obvious, but I, I talk to people who say, you know, I, I didn't really recognize it when it was happening. And then all of a sudden, you know, I realized that we we're, we have nothing as, as a couple. And, and so what are some of the signs that you are, that, that you're focusing, all your focus is on your children and your role as a parent and not enough of your focus is on your role as a partner? Sure. And I think it's well said that it is, it might seem so obvious, but it's so many of these things that we talk about and being support people for people are the very obvious. It's not as if someone doesn't know they shouldn't eat ice cream all day long or never get any exercise or not take care of themselves. But sometimes we need support in remembering that it's important. So Mm -hmm. in terms of marriage, how are you feeling, right? Is there a check-in time for the two of you? Are you having sex? When was the last time you had sex? Was it satisfying? Is everyone too exhausted to get together and do anything? Is there time that, is it just tag team and who made what bank deposit and and you were supposed to be here an hour ago so I could start my Zoom meeting and take over childcare? That can be really maddening, more maddening now than ever in COVID, Mm -hmm. especially for people with young children. Those things are worth noting and, and, where is self-care? How are you taking care of what's going on in your own body and your own mind? Mm-hmm. Amy, any other signs that you can think of of a neglected marriage or relationship partnership? Yeah, I think that um, blaming each other um, and kind of withdrawing um, and saying kind of, I, I give up, you know, you handle this. It's just become too overwhelming and too hard. And then feeling really isolated and alone. 
um, and forgetting that you went into this as a partnership and that you are a team and that you need to continue to maintain um, your roles and responsibilities together. Um, sometimes you have to fake it until you make it. I say that with kids and attachment, but it's also in relationships. Like you have to know, you have to maintain hope and continue to work together as a, as a team and not blame each other. Um, I think fighting is, is not necessarily a healthy thing in a relationship, but when there's no communication and no fighting, I worry that there's there's nothing anymore either. So even when, when couples say that they're not even fighting anymore, I worry that they're, that they're not communicating in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's really important that, that parents continue to get support from other people to give them the strength to work together. Mm -hmm. I'll throw out one other sign that's, it's a subtle one, but but I think it is a, a real harbinger of, of a neglected marriage. And that is when your primary source of relationship, comfort, support, interest is outside with somebody outside your marriage. And I don't mean in a, well, it could be an affair, but I, it could be even your girlfriend. It could be where the person that you want to go to to share your good news, your bad news, or to seek advice is always somebody outside your marriage, which is not to say that that we our partner in a marriage is got to be the, the only one we go to. I'm not saying that, but if it's, if you unique, if you consistently are seeking your source of enjoyment and community and support with somebody else, that's a sign that, that your marriage needs more work that, that uh, because your, your partner should be at least uh, one of the top people you're going to uh, doesn't have to be the only person. Absolutely. That can even happen with, with kids. You know, you want to make sure you're not talking poorly to your child about your partner. Oh, wow. Um, you yeah. know, dad just really messed this up. I can't believe he made that decision, you know, and so really making sure that, that that's not happening either. Yeah. Once again, your dad's an hour late, used to this. Yep. This is yep. how it always is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a, yeah. That's another really important one. Um, I'm, I think that uh, we've mentioned this once a, a little bit before, but it's talking about the, the trauma and, and neglect in the parents' background. How can that impact the marriage once kids arrive? It, it's, it's easy for us to, especially when we're adopting kids who have come from traumatic backgrounds, to be focusing on the kids' trauma and not to realize that we as parents bring our own, I like how you'd said it before, trauma maybe with a little t, uh, not that you were necessarily abused, but our own issues, who we are, we're bringing into the marriage and into our parenting relationship. So how does that impact our marriage once kids get involved? Well, it's a huge surprise. It is someone saying, whoa, I didn't know this was in your past because it's either been forgotten, it's been hidden, it's never been discussed. And and maybe it's really, it, it's already, it's rather still unconscious in terms of, I keep behaving like this when I'm around our eight-year-old, and yet I'm still repressing the fact that X or Y was going on in my own eight-year-old self. My partner is watching this and saying, what's going on? Why do you keep acting like this around our eight-year-old? Right. So again, I'll bring it back to 
for the fifth time, self-awareness, right? How many couples have done any couples work? How many have done any learning about histories and what kind of parenting experiences they've had? And, and how open to communicating are they at this point, regardless of what their past is? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being aware of it. Mm-hmm. Having communication skills that we can all work on those, right? It's lifelong development of how do we really dialogue? How do we listen to someone else and reflect back what we're hearing? And are we doing that for each other? And if we don't know how to do that, are we getting some support, which is easier than ever just through YouTube videos or books or any type of learning skills on dialogue? Mm how to dialogue, how to communicate within a marriage. Mm -hmm. Right. The other thing is the um, ACEs, which I think you've done a show about, the Mm -hmm. Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. For parents to at least get an overview of that and understand what their own ACEs score is and what their child's is, I think probably, well, Amy could speak to this better in terms of you probably do a lot of that before children are placed in the home, right? Right. Yeah, I was going to mention that that part of the home study process, again, is really talking with parents about unresolved trauma history and trying to assess that and help help parents become aware of what they may need to work on prior to bringing a child into their home. Um, Because I think sometimes parents don't even recognize or realize that they're adverse childhood experiences can impact their parenting. Um, and, and when a parent has an unresolved trauma history, um, it can be very challenging for attachment up to that child. It can be really difficult for them to navigate day-to-day parenting. Um, sometimes we see you know, that they might be disassociative, they might not be able to engage and connect with their child and be present and available to them in a way that's necessary to develop attachment. Then they also may be overly reactive, um, hypervigilant because of their trauma history. And these are all things that are going to certainly impact your day-to-day parenting and your your ability to provide your child with a safe, loving home um, because your child's going to be be fearful, mm-hmm. right? Or or concerned about you and, and how you're doing. Um, people also have um, developmental arrest when they have a trauma history. So sometimes, you know, they kind of haven't even been able to proceed in, in their own development emotionally um, in ways that they need to in order to parent effectively. Um, And then, of course, there's also trauma triggers, just like our kids have trauma triggers. We see parents um, with trauma triggers all the time when siblings are fighting and screaming at each other, Mm -hmm. like how that can really impact a parent that has trauma, um, unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. So it's hard. It doesn't mean you can't parent, but it means you need support. Mm -hmm. And self-awareness. Yeah. Right. People might end up blindsided by that again, because they just didn't realize what it was going to look like to have that in front of them in their home. And so any partner might say, wow, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. I didn't know you would respond like that. 
Absolutely. Because yeah. sometimes you don't know. You yeah, don't exactly. even know you're going to respond like yes, exactly. that. So yeah. mm-hmm. you surprise yourself a lot as a parent. This show, as well as all the resources provided by Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support from our partners who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to those struggling to create a family. Some of our wonderful partners include Children's Connection. They are an adoption agency providing services for domestic infant adoption as well as embryo donation and adoption throughout the U.S. They also provide home studies and post-adoption support to families in Texas. I want to move to talking about extended family members. It seems so often that in our, we have an online support group and uh, Facebook, Creating a Family, join us. Uh, and so often we hear of uh, extended family members, grandparents, uh, in-laws that negatively are impacting the relationship, and in particular after children come. Now, part of that's what uh, I think Amy was saying at the beginning about the blame game. You know, well, she was the one who wanted all these kids. I told her, you know, just get in somebody else's trouble, and now, now you know, you made your bed, now lie in it. So there's some of that, but there's also just some general um, non-supportive behavior. I want to say toxic, but that feels a little negative. But that that extended family members can bring into a, into a marriage. And in particular, um, they could do it in general, regardless of whether children are involved. I realize that, but since we're talking about marriages with children, so what are some of the specific things, Anna, that you can think of that, uh, how to handle extended family members who are not supportive of your parenting decisions are not supportive of your marriage and how you are parenting through your marriage? Well, if you, if those people have your ear, <laughs> and they do right? often, and yes. they do, then it's going to have an impact, right? Lots of people look at it as you know, it's not just the couple in the bedroom; it's it's the the family of origin, right? That mm-hmm. that comes along with them, or certainly the parents at the very least. Mm-hmm. So, I think for couples, it is important to remember that if they are if they're in this together to, to be in this together. And, and I'm not saying don't get support from people, but really you do probably have to, to close the door on impact that is going to be toxic. I don't think that's too strong a word really to the relationship, because mm-hmm. if, if you're spending all day with your, your mother and she doesn't like your spouse, then that's probably not going to serve your marriage very well. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the kind of question you mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That you've got to choose. You shouldn't have to. Uh, but if uh, if an extended family member is not supportive and is not healthy for your marriage, then you've got to set limits. And it has to be the person who has that relationship who sets the limits. Uh, the, the one who is being um, bad-mouthed is not in the position to step up to your parents. So that's, that's hard. Now I want to move to the tips section uh, for, and, and then we're going to uh, move to, for you single parents out there, we're going to talk about you just in a minute exclusively. But 
uh, I want to talk about some practical tips that we can suggest for parents who are parenting challenging kids, children who've experienced trauma or, or prenatal exposure or abuse or neglect or whatever. So what are some tips for strengthening your relationship when you're parenting these kiddos who've been exposed to trauma? So uh, let's start with you, Amy. Um, I think there's a lot of ways that you can really focus on your relationship when you're when you're parenting these these tough kids. Um, I think that um, one, like I said before, it's important to join together and gain a, a clear understanding of the behaviors so that you can so that you can move forward in a way that you feel connected and on the same page. I think it's important that you, continue to find joy um, and things that you enjoy doing together as a couple. Um, I think that it's really important to carve out that time um, to, to spend together as a couple, um, to promote your relationship and remind you of, of what brought you together. <laughs> I think that Communication, um, having an opportunity to talk together honestly and openly is really important. I think mm -hmm. celebrating small victories is also really important and, and making sure that you talk about the joys as much as you talk about the challenges mm -hmm. after each day. I mean, I think that I've talked with a lot of families that that have a hard time at the end of the day thinking of one positive thing that happened in their day or with their child or in their relationship and really like trying to think about there's got to be one good thing that happened today and and trying to focus on that because so often we get overwhelmed with the with the negatives and mm -hmm. you know one parent will come home from work and the parent that has been home just kind of unravels and and tells them all of the negative terrible things that happened that day Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think it is impo important that you come together and and try to work really hard to find joys and victories in each day. I think you need to um, avoid power struggles with your partner and with your children. That that can be really challenging and difficult. Mm -hmm. Let me see if Anna, Anna, have you got something you want to add? Sure. Tips yeah. For, all for of parenting. Those, yeah. All of those things. Absolutely. And that parents might do well to give themselves a break, right? Raising mm -hmm. children, regardless of how easy they are, and especially difficult children is really hard and exhausting. Mm -hmm. And don't overwhelm yourself. You know, we, we might throw out all these great ideas, which are all great ideas, but if you don't get to that date or don't make that perfect dinner or didn't get to run as much as you wanted to that day, so be it, right? Let, let yourself um, be okay with that. Um, I mentioned earlier sex and making dates, especially when we have children in the house who might be running in and out of the bedrooms. That's It's important to not always just say, well, I can't help it. I just fell asleep when I was reading the stories tonight, right? Mm -hmm. Make it a priority if you can, not to the detriment of your sleep, but it is very connective to remember that mm -hmm. part of why you probably came together is to be sexual partners. And when you're exhausted, it's hard to work that in. Mm -hmm. Letting each other have space to take care of self and growth 
really important. The communication that I mentioned, I, I really like the work of Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication, which is probably something you've featured and, and something that is uh, true both for the partners, the dyad of the marriage or parent-child and any humans, right? From a geopolitical standpoint to the down to the two people in a marriage. So there are so many resources available. I like a calendar and putting things on a calendar because again, not to the point where we're so attached to it that we're frustrated with one another if it can't happen, but set intention. If you can't set intention, it is unlikely to happen, whether it's mm -hmm. the run, the, the pizza night, the sex, the mm -hmm. anything, right? And people think that when you schedule things, particularly sex, that that's taking the romance out of it. But in fact, once you have kids, sometimes that's the only way it's going to happen if it's not on the calendar. Right. I think people need to let go of that idea of that. If it's not spontaneous, it mm -hmm. doesn't count. Mm -hmm. Because like being parents, like being partners, it takes work. And that can be part of that work is communicating those needs and making time for them. I would also throw out that getting on the same page about how to handle the challenging behaviors. And I just want to say that we have at Creating a Family a lot of courses on trauma-informed parenting. So take a few of those courses and uh, take them together as a couple and come up to help you get on the same page to agree on how to parent through some of the challenges. Go ahead, Amy. You were going to suggest another tip for strengthening your relationship. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, we we tell our parents in working with their kids, listen to kids, um, hold their feelings, don't always feel like you have to solve their problems. And I think that's also important in partner parenting relationships, you know, listen to your partner. They're not always looking for you to solve the problem. Um, sometimes there's no way that they can solve it but sometimes you just they need to listen to each other they need to not blame each other they need to um just kind of hold the the difficult feelings that they're that one another is experiencing mm -hmm. um, and normalizing that for each other and saying it's okay it's okay that you feel really guilty it's okay that you feel um really upset about what happened today with so-and-so, you know, that you've got to listen and, and hold that tough stuff for one another. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Validating them, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think it's also important to have time together where you're not solving, talking about a problem or solving a problem are that, that just schedule times. And I'm a huge believer in date nights. And almost every time when I mention it, somebody will say, oh yeah, like how am I going to get a you know sitter for these kids? Or, or, you know, that's too expensive. And so it may take some creativity. It may be an evening walk if your kids are old enough for you to walk around the block with them in, you know, in bed. Or it could be Saturday morning coffee with two of you while they watch Saturday morning cartoons. It's uh, it, it, where you're not scheduling it. The time is not meant to be working on problems. It might just be meant to uh, be playing a game together or, or talking about uh, the news or, or something that you're doing that's not, that's not focused on the issues that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think it's also important to, to, to mention those 
fun, enjoyable times with your partner, but also creating that as a family yes. and creating successful, positive experiences as a family mm-hmm. um, is really important so that you can all every once in a while feel really good. And you have to be really careful about what that fun family time is going to be so that you can set your child up for success. Mm-hmm. You know, if they have a trauma history, it might not be an amusement park with too much sensory stuff going on. Um, and so really thinking about what what kind of family fun can we do together that's going to be, everyone's going to be able to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, because as much as you need that, for your marriage and your partner, you also need to find those opportunities for your family. I could not agree with you more. I think that families need to have fun together. And I always say once a week, you should have something scheduled that every person in the family can look forward to. Maybe it's a frozen pizza on Friday night and watching TV together. Maybe it is uh, going for a bike ride on Sunday afternoons. It's, It's, but you need to find something that you could do. And it can't be too expensive because then you won't do it very often. So it's got to be something that's reasonable. And it's something that as parents have to give more. Parents uh, can't just do what they, uh, but it has to be something that at least they don't really active, the parent doesn't actively dislike. So, and it doesn't have to be something where it requires a lot of talking in in my opinion. So if if movies are your thing, then, you know, renting a movie or, or, you know, watching a movie on on a streaming service or something, uh, as long as everybody's looking forward to it and, and and wants to do it. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that we don't like we cannot say that enough that it's important to have fun as a family because there's got to be you know otherwise why have these kids? You know we need to have be having some fun <laughs> with them. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Now I want to talk about single parents. Um, it's uh, they're they they obviously are not in a marriage and they may or may not be in partnership. But let's assume that they aren't necessarily in partnership. One of the things we always say before a single parent becomes a parent through adoption or fostering is that they need to establish a support network for them to help them. But uh, but I'm going to be honest. Challenging kids can often test their support network. Somebody says, sure, I'll be there for you until they find out that uh, this child does not behave the way and is not a rewarding child for your support network to be around. So that's a problem that a lot of singles find is that, yeah, they may have set up their support network ahead of time because, you know, we've harped on it and they say, okay, yeah, I've had friends and they're all going to say that they're going to be there. But in fact, once the child arrives, you know, they, they really are not necessarily there. Uh, Amy, have you seen that as well in, with your, the single parents you work with? I have, I have, and it, and it, is, it is so hard because people say at the beginning of the process to single parents, we're, you know, you've got your village, we're here for you, you know, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z. Um, and then, you know, when reality, strikes and and the child uh, has really difficult behaviors and is hard to manage, then then people do walk away um, and, and aren't there as reliably as as single parents need them to be. Um, and the parents feel ashamed and embarrassed by their child's behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and they feel bad asking for help because they know that, that it's a burden. Um, you know, they know that their child who has a significant trauma history, you know, 
or attachment difficulties is going to be a really hard kid to babysit mm-hmm. for four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's important. It's kind of similar to the question about how do you manage family that extended family that's not as supportive. I think it's also about like teaching and educating um, your support network and providing them the tools that they need, um, just like you gathered that information and education for yourself to, to manage this. I think we need to share that with our support networks. And if a single parent can say to their friends, hey, I've got a you know great webinar that you could watch that might really be helpful while you're taking care of my child, would you, would you mind just watching it? I think it might be really helpful to you. Or can I talk with you for 10 minutes and share some tips or strategies? And this is how I manage this behavior. Um, because I think that their support network wants to help, but sometimes it feels too hard to manage it. And they don't have the same skills that you learned. Um, earlier in, in your process. Um, and so we need to, provide them that support the same way that we need it. And we need to equip them with the, the tools um, to be successful as a support network. It's not just, it doesn't just come naturally. (laughs) And I will say something that I've also seen happen and it's, it's, it's understandable, but people volunteer to support you at the beginning, but in many ways, your life is diverging from their life. If assuming they don't have children, you know, as a, as a parent, you're not able to necessarily do the things, Oh, let's go see a movie or the things that your, your single friends who were going to be and, and truly genuinely meant it when they say they were going to support your lives are diverging and your interests are diverging. And so that, that complicates even, even though they had the best of intentions, so Anna, how any suggestions on how singles might be able to find support? Uh, so their support network is their support network is maybe not as supportive as they want. So post post adoption or post parenting, what are some suggestions for how they might find support? Well, having their individual therapy, if that's interesting to them is probably going to be a huge support to remember that it's okay that those relationships evolve and the people that were going to be the village really might not be showing up. You're right that everything has diverged. And to instead of spending energy feeling like there's something wrong with them or their child, or it's just, it's the circumstances. Mm-hmm. So one door closes, another opens, right? So what are their interests? Obviously, lots of parents meet new people through their schools or their other community activities where there are young children. And those people very organically become their supports, right? They share childcare, they share rides to school, they share maybe potluck dinners on the weekend, right? I think being open to the excitement of that possibility rather than what was, right? Someone who is driven enough to have gone through, I'm sure, immense hoops to take on a child or children on their own. Wow, that's a courageous person, right? Mm -hmm. This is a person with vision. This is a person who, there are a lot of possibilities in front of her or him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would. They are a courageous person. I totally agree. Uh, There is somebody who others would want to to get to know because that takes some gumption. 
Amy, any thoughts on tips for singles to strengthen their support network or their relationships? I think trying to find people that you can be open and honest with. So like Anna just said, you know, really seeking other people in your community through your child's school um, activities. Um, but also when you find those people, try to kind of vet them a little bit and see if they're going to be a good fit for you. Talk to them about your challenges. Say, you know, I, I would love to see us building a relationship and supporting one another. This is our challenge right now. It's hard. And I think that most people will find that other people are experiencing very similar challenges. Mm -hmm. um, and then you're able to come together and support one another. Um, so I think sometimes support groups, parent support groups can be great. We try to do those at, in our agency and really kind of provide opportunities for parents to connect to each other. It normalizes their experiences, but it also gives them the opportunity to meet new people. And we, you know, uh, we think that's really valuable and important. Um, also, I think parents need to go out and do things that they think are fun um, and enjoyable too. So, you know, go um, sign up for a tennis, you know, tennis clinic or a exercise thing or a hiking thing or you know something that you're interested in mm -hmm. go go do it I know it's hard easier said than done sometimes but you've got to find joy outside of parenting mm -hmm. as much as you have to try to find that in parenting mm -hmm. yeah don't forget that you are still an adult with interest outside of your child and you still deserve to be able to do as you say, find joy on, on an occasion. With uh, Even though you're a parent and you find joy with parenting, but you also need to maintain your adult and your adult interest as well. Well, thank you so much, Amy Garber and Anna Mayers for talking with us today about maintaining your marriage and relationships when adopting or fostering. Let me remind everyone that the views expressed in this show are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of creating a family. Our partners are our underwriters. Also, keep in mind that the information given in this interview is general advice. To understand how it applies to your specific situation, you need to work with your adoption or foster care professional. Thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Hey, everyone. I hope you are liking and getting a lot out of this podcast. We pride ourselves on being the only podcast on adoption and foster care that is unbiased and fully expert-based. We also pride ourselves on being the top-ranked podcast in these areas, and the only way I can brag on being number one is if we have the most subscribers. I would truly appreciate it if you would subscribe to this podcast. The easiest way is to click subscribe on whatever app you are listening to us on. You may have to search for us under Creating a Family and then hit subscribe. Or you could go to iTunes and search for Creating a Family. Either way, you will get there and find us, and we would really appreciate your subscription. Thanks.